This is the Brighter Web Podcast. Insights on growing a small business using the latest technology and marketing best practices. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us again. I'm Robert Carnes and here's my co-host Mickey Mellon. Hey Robert, good to see you this morning. Yeah, likewise Mickey. Excited to dive into this episode on productivity. To get started, what do you say, what do you think is the goal with productivity? What are we trying to get out of this? So I see one thing as a goal and one thing as a almost a trap that we sometimes fall okay. into. The trap is busyness. I think that's something we joke about a lot, but it's the reality with a lot of the work that we do is just staying busy and finding things to do to fill up our days. That's not the goal. Right. That makes you feel productive, checking things off, but it's, yeah, buying cat food and... Exactly. Little things. And I've heard of people, and I sometimes do this myself, of setting up tasks for themselves that they've already done just so they can check them (laughs) off and get that little hit of dopamine and feel better. Yeah. That's not really the goal. I think the goal is to maximize your time, is to get the most amount done with the given time. And sometimes that doesn't take all day. Sometimes you can actually leave space and margin for yourself, which is a really good thing, actually. So sometimes being more productive can buy yourself more time, but just getting the most amount of work done and the right work done in the time that you have. Yep, I like that. That's very well said. So, uh, Mickey, that's obviously a very noble thing to try to do, but (laughs) a very difficult one as well, and something that I think everybody struggles with to one degree or another. But what do you think is a key to actually unlocking productivity? So one of the things I like to think of with this, David Allen coined it back in his um, book, Getting Things Done, but he said to have a mind like water. And basically it means like like a still pond. If you, a small rock is thrown into a still pond, it makes a small ripple. A big rock makes a big ripple. And if you're on top of your world, what everything's going on, you can respond appropriately. If a big rock is thrown at you, you need to respond with a big wave, like sometimes. But if you're haphazard and chaotic, everything becomes a big wave, even if it shouldn't be. And so being on top of things is, is big. I think the place to start with that, for me at least, is email. and getting. I'm a big believer in inbox zero. Not that everything is done, but just that everything is you're aware of, they're in the proper system. And so when a new email comes in, you can respond appropriately. Say, okay, I can let that sit. I can deal with it. I can do what I want to do. Um, and we could get into a whole separate podcast about dealing with email. We won't go too far there. But I think the main thing to consider with email is emails generally aren't messages. They're actions. An email comes in saying you need to do this or put this on your calendar or find this document or do something. So handle those emails appropriately and go from there. First of all, mind like water is like maybe the most zen thing we've ever said <laughs> yeah. on this podcast before. It I makes think so. me feel like... We need to have a few minutes to just meditate on that. But second of all, I actually have a little bit of pushback on the whole idea of emails aren't messages, they're actions. I often tend to treat them that way, but I've heard from a lot of sources that you're not supposed to use your email like a to-do list, that that's, that that's a trap and that that's something that can lead to work anguish. So yeah, do you have any justification for why you treat email that way? For sure. So. You're correct. I agree. You shouldn't treat email as a to-do list because you're not necessarily doing everything in the emails. You're just going to mine out the good stuff from the email and put it in the appropriate system. And we'll talk about some of those systems, but again, put a task on your task list, put an event on your calendar and get them out of your inbox. If you keep them in your inbox as a task list, you'll end up with 20 emails floating around that you can't really prioritize. And every time you look at your inbox, you kind of rescan the list to see what matters when, if they're just in the right system and dated for the right date when you need to do it, it's out of your mind and you can move on with what really matters. Yeah, well said. So we talked about tasks. That's a big big piece of what comes in emails, things you need to do. So what are some good ways to handle tasks? The first knee-jerk reaction is to look at tools, right? We, mm-hmm. we have a lot of digital tools. You and I both love all the different digital tools, many sure. of them focused around productivity. So tools like Asana, ClickUp, Teamwork are all task management systems that we have used in the past. There's 
seemingly an infinite list from there. Uh, and I actually recently read a Wired magazine article on that subject of to-do list apps because, again, there are so many. They're pretty easy for developers to create, relatively easy. And so they, they pop up all the time. And the, the author of the magazine article argued that it's not about finding the right tool. It's not about getting a better to-do list. It's actually about blocking off time for when you're actually going to get those things done. Because if I have a list of 50 things I need to do, I have no necessarily no idea how long that's going to take me. I don't know if it's realistic to try to squeeze all of those things into my Tuesday. But if I actually take my calendar and block off, okay, I need to go grocery shopping. It's going to take me an hour to get this done. I'm going to do this at nine o'clock because all these kind of things, it, it puts it into the context of your day and then holds you accountable because it says, okay, it's nine o'clock. It's time to go grocery shopping. You need to go get this done and you've got an hour to do it. So it, it better works the tasks and the things that you need to get done into, again, the rhythm and the flow of your day. And so it actually has a much better likelihood of you getting those things done and being productive. Gotcha. Very well said. I think the problem we can run into even there, though, and it's a balance, is figuring out how much meta work to do to organize your to-do list and to figure yes. out how long things are going to take and to block off the time. Because that's something I struggle with when I have a list of 10 things. I could spend the next 20 minutes figuring out how long each one's going to take, or I could knock out three of them. And it's sometimes one answer is better, sometimes the other one's better. And it's, yeah. And that gets back to the thing we talked about before, which is busyness, right? Sometimes right. <laughs> doing that meta work and oh, filling up my to-do list with all these things and reorganizing them and shuffling them together, that's, that can kill a lot of your day. It just seeming like you're getting things done, but you're really just pushing paperwork around and not actually achieving anything. Yeah, Merlin Mann had a great anecdote with that. He said, pretend you're making sandwiches at a sandwich shop. And you get an order in, and it's for a ham and cheese. And you get another one for a grilled cheese. Like, okay, I got two cheeses. And then you get one with just ham. Like, ooh, should I organize by hams or should I organize by cheeses? Or like, no, you make the sandwiches. Like, <laughs> just knock this stuff out. So, again, certainly some organization behind it can be good. But, yeah, that's where a lot of the meta work becomes busyness. And you got all these great systems you reorganize, like, and you could have knocked half the tasks out in the meantime. So. Absolutely, absolutely. So similar to meta work is taking notes around this productivity, documenting things, archiving as you get work done. So you obviously have done a lot of work and, and care a lot about note taking. So what are some of your systems when it comes to taking notes on, on your productivity? So really just two pieces that go together. I think we all should have a good disposable notes system, just a place to put notes temporarily. I know you use a lot of paper. You take a lot of notes during meetings. I use Google Keep a lot. I also use Remarkable. I do different things for taking notes, but it needs to be a place that's disposable that you get back to frequently and then put those notes in the proper system. So I can take a quick note whenever I want. If I have an idea for a blog post or a thing we need to do for a client, I can just jot it down knowing I'll get back to that notes list, put it in the proper place, put it on the task list, email the person, put it on the calendar, whatever it is, and then erase the note like and move on with my life and having that done. But then the key to that, it has to be a trusted system. Mm -hmm. And trusted is a, a big word. David Allen uses that in his book as well. But it's not saying, ooh, I trust this system. But you have to trust it deep down or it doesn't count. If you can have a system where you put something and you'll get back to it, then your mind can let it go. But if you're not deep down sure that you'll get back to it, you're still going to hold on to it in your head just so you don't really forget. And that's, that's a problem. And that just takes time. So I've learned over time, if I put it in Google Keep, it's sitting front and center on my laptop and desktop, and I will see it. So if I put it there, I know it'll get done. I can let it go. Just like with task management systems, there are so many note-taking apps. You mentioned Correct, Google yeah. Keep is one. Evernote's a popular one. We could sit here and do an entire show about just the note-taking apps. For sure. So like you said, it's not about finding the right tool. It's about finding the one that you're going to use, you're going to revisit, you're actually going to check on a regular basis so that 
you're not losing ideas because you can also spread everything out over a hundred different places. Right. And that's useless. That's a waste of your time because you're not actually archiving it, putting it somewhere where you're going to find it and put it to use. Yeah. And there's a few levels of note taking. And again, we could get into that later, but I think Evernote and Rome Research and some of those are great places for storing notes and organizing thoughts. And that's a whole different animal. I'm talking more just a place to put quick notes, which Evernote sure. and stuff is generally not as good for. But again, if it works for you and you'll get back to it, then it does the job. And then the last thing I think we'll look at here is deep work. The idea of deep work. Cal Newport has a great book called Deep Work that gets into that. I'm pretty good about deep study, like reading and mm -hmm. stuff. I'll often go out in the backyard with things like my Kindle and my Remarkable, products that don't have connectivity to anything. I can just take notes. I can read books. I'll often listen to maybe Brain FM to tune things out and help me focus. And that works good for reading and writing and stuff. But I think we're really talking more about work. And I know you have some excellent deep work habits. So tell us a bit about that. Well, it really started when I read Cal Newport's book, like you mentioned, that's called Deep Work. <clears throat> he gets into the science uh, behind why we need to really do it because for the most part, we can do shallow work, which is stuff like moving paperwork around or doing meta work around tasks. But to really do meaningful, significant work, you need to focus. You can't task switch or try to multitask and actually get something meaningful done. And so doing things like removing distractions, closing the door to your office to prevent people like coworkers or family members from just popping in and wanting to chit chat, clearing off your desk, like removing clutter, which mm -hmm. kind of can distract you, turning off your cell phone or just turning off notifications on your computer because we just are in, by culture, we are in an environment that just wants to pull our attention away, right? Our attention is a commodity that we need to protect. Sometimes it's okay to let that go. It's okay to have, be idly scrolling through social media. But if you want to truly be productive, you need to intentionally put up a wall to shut those things out. Even things like putting in headphones and listening to either white noise or ambient sounds or even music find the right environment to put yourself to actually be able to win and be productive. So really environment and context is a huge thing to actually just allowing yourself to find deep work. Uh, and once you're able to do those things, it, it's going to make you a lot more productive. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier this year, I took Seth Godin's Alt MBA course and that required a lot of deep work. And what I found worked well for me there is I have in my office with my big computer behind the computer, like behind me is a standing desk I have with a different laptop on it. And so I basically tuned that laptop to be more of a focus machine where it had fewer distractions and stuff. And so I would sit and work at my main desktop most of the day, but it was time to go do the deeper work for Alt-MBA. I would go do it from the standing desk where there was fewer distractions and that, that worked to, to a pretty good degree. Yeah. Yeah. So. Having, yeah. Like you said, having a different space where you're able to like have it tuned in to that type of work is really great. Cal Newport's book details some like more specific examples or other examples, I suppose, of people who've built writing sheds or deep work. Like I've thought about that. I've been talking to my wife rooms. about that. I'd love to build like a, a combination shed in the backyard. Like, we need a shed for like a lawnmower and stuff. Like I'll build a big shed where like <laughs> half of it could be like a, a workspace where I could just, which is ridiculous because I have a dedicated office at the house, but sure. I don't think she'd go for that. But I can see the value in it, but that would be cool. Right. Well, yeah, you could just have her listen to this podcast and sell her on the idea there you of go. why you need a deep workspace. Perfect. There you go. And we'll have links to Cal's book as well as that Wired article and those sorts of things in the show notes. You can check those out. Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is a great conversation. Hopefully this is a few tips and tricks to get you in the right direction of being more productive. So if you have been, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Brighter Web Podcast brought to you by Green Melon, a digital marketing agency. To help your business keep up with the latest digital marketing trends, check us out at greenmelon.com. 
You can also find show notes and more episodes at uprighterweb.com.